You're listening to Lindy's Audio Cafe, a positive and lighthearted podcast. Life gets busy, and in the race for happiness, we sometimes forget what is truly important. In the end, it's often the smaller things in life that truly matter. Stick around. There's always something new to talk about, and we're glad to have you join us. Thanks for listening, and here's your host, Lindy. Well, hello there, and welcome to Lindy's Audio Cafe. My name is Lindy, and I'm absolutely delighted to join you once again today. It's so great to be back here in the podcast chair. Got a little bit of sunshine here on beautiful Vancouver Island. And yeah, I'm looking forward to another great day. Speaking of great days, I am being joined online by Zoom today with a really wonderful guest. Actually, he's quite a ways away from me. Actually, I'm going to be talking to a gentleman named John Slifka. Now, he lives in West Hartford, Connecticut. Yep, that's a long ways away. And he's going to chat to us today. I mean, John has had an incredible life and he's a trailblazer. He's broken barriers throughout his entire life. John grew up in West Hartford, Connecticut, and he was one of the first students with a disability who was mainstreamed through the West Hartford public school system. Uh, Now, John also tells me that he was also the first person with a disability to play in the West Hartford Little League, as well as he was the first student in a wheelchair to play on the West Hartford High School tennis team. That's incredible. Uh, he's done so much. He, you know, he even served as a March of Dimes poster child from 1985 to 1987. And the list goes on. But I don't think you need to hear me talk about it. We need to hear John talk about it and hear his story. So let's introduce John. Hello, John. Hi, Lindy. Thanks for having me. Oh, uh, thanks. To be here. So, it's so great to have you on the show. I'm really glad that you joined us here today. So you've got quite a story, um, and I think it's your story to tell and not mine. Well, you, you know, you, I think uh, in that brief introduction, you sold me better than I uh, sell myself sometimes. So, so thank you for that. I, I appreciate it. <laughs> you betcha. Uh, so yeah, I I grew up here in in West Hartford, Connecticut, and uh, and uh, in the I grew up. I was born in 1977. Uh, so the Americans with Disabilities Act was quite a ways away from from uh, from existence. And um, so there were a lot of things that were not accessible to me growing up. And my parents, my family, and, and my, bro- my older brother uh, really had to be advocates for me in terms of uh, accessibility in, in the school systems, in athletics, and, and, and so many other things. Uh, my parents decided very, very quickly that because my disability, I was born with spina bifida, uh, did not affect me cognitively that there was no reason that I should not be mainstreamed in, in the school system. It did not affect my brain at all and my intelligence. And so they wanted to make sure that I could live as, as normal a life as possible. Absolutely. And so, yeah. And so they advocated for me to go through the public school system and, and made it happen, uh, which on the one hand was, was wonderful, taught me a lot about self-advocacy and, and, and pursuing things for yourself that, that, that you want. Uh, on the other hand, going through those things and, and being the first to go through so many of those things uh, at times was very daunting and isolating as a child because you were dealing with adults that didn't really know how to deal with you and mm-hmm. dealing with people that that uh, were were so careful in the way that they treated you that it was almost like you weren't a person. Mm-hmm. And and uh, it, it was difficult at times. I don't you know, I don't. I don't regret anything that I went through in terms of where it led me to. Uh, I'm 
deeply grateful to my parents and my brother for for providing the path for me that they did. Uh, so so please don't uh, please don't think I, I mean anything by that. Um, but there were times growing up that it was that it was difficult to uh, to go through those things, being the first to to have done it. And do you find now, like say in comparison to how things are today, was it really, really different back then? Like what kinds of things would you run into? Like what would you have to advocate for? Well, for example, the first school really that I went to was uh, was a Catholic school here in town that okay. uh, that did not have an elevator. Oh, no. And so classrooms were on multiple floors. And so I had to be carried around by the eighth graders of the school up and down the oh. stairs. And I, and I attended that school until fourth grade. And <clears throat> my brother was, is three years ahead of me. So there were times that he and his classmates would, would, uh, would come to my classroom and carry me around and, uh, carry my, me to my classes or carry me to the lunchroom. And, uh, after a while, as you get older, you know, when you're a little, little kid, okay, maybe it's, you know, not as embarrassing, not as isolating, not as humiliating, uh, but the older you get, and 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 certainly, you know, as you get older, you gain weight. And uh, I was a small kid; I'm still relatively a, a small adult, but you don't want to be carried anymore. Yeah, and and that, that becomes kind of kind of humiliating. And I think the other thing that I remember from that school very vividly is <clears throat> when their idea of allowing me—I didn't because I didn't have a wheelchair until I think maybe even fifth grade. I didn't, it wasn't until I had my wheelchair. So really I only had a stroller that I was, I was rolled around oh. in, um, for, for a long time. Uh, but my, one of my vivid memories of, of that particular school was that, um, their idea of, of me participating in recess essentially was me bringing out my desk chair from the classroom and having me sit in my desk chair and, basically watch other kids play on the playground. And I remember very distinctly, uh, one of my classmates came over to me with his matchbox cars and wanted me to play with him. And so I got out of my chair and on the ground, quite literally next to my desk chair, and was just playing with the matchbox, matchbox cars on the ground. And I ended up getting in trouble for that because I got, out of the, I got out of the chair. They were so concerned about my safety that they didn't want me getting out of the desk chair. And, oh. and so when you, when you talk about, you know, isolating situations, that was certainly, um, that was certainly one of them. No, was there but, any, any reason why they like, was there any kind of physical, I, I don't know how to word this the right way. Was there mm-hmm. any safety reason why, was there anything with your back or anything, why they wouldn't want you to do that? Or is it just. I think, no, no, I don't think it was really anything specific. I think it was, it was out of an abundance for, out of, uh, an abundance of caution. Uh, yeah. Again, they hadn't dealt with a, a, a child with a disability before, and 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 from a liability standpoint, they just they didn't want to take any chances. Um, and so that's I think that's why they they mm. they treated me as such. Uh, and then when I got into fifth grade, uh, I was in a wheelchair. I might have gotten it in fourth grade. Now that I'm looking back, but I was. Um, in a wheelchair in fifth grade and changed over to a school that had an elevator. And that was the beginning of things slowly improving for me with, with uh, within the school systems uh, between teachers and, uh, and kids also treating me a little bit differently and, uh, and so forth. But, 
uh, yeah, that wow. first school was was uh, was a little rough. I guess so. Now, how was it for friends during that time? Did you have some people that you connected with that became your buddies, or did you feel you were really secluded because of the situation? I was really secluded and isolated, mm-hmm. and I think, and I don't blame the kids for that. I think yeah. you know, kids mm-hmm. learn so much by observation, and so they yeah. saw. I think mm-hmm. they saw largely how the teachers and and uh, and the administration were teaching me that they 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 treated me the same way, and the few mm-hmm. kids that 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 sort of broke that that mold uh and broke that broke through the wall if you will uh were the ones that that you know sort of got in trouble with me because they were Mm -hmm. they were they were treating me like a person it's like well we got to be careful with him we'll treat him as a person first yeah then we'll worry about him being careful and oh by the way he can also tell you if something's wrong yeah you know so let's 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 consider that as well. You know, in fifth yeah. grade, I got my, I got my first real friend, school friend. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, you're reminding me of another conversation I, I had. Um, I, my brother had his friends and he'd invite them over to our house. And, uh, oftentimes when they would come over, I would follow them around in, in the house, like a, like a pathetic little puppy dog, if you will. And, uh, it was very irritating to my brother because he he wanted his own friends, his own time with yeah. his friends, his his independent his independence with his friends, and uh, I certainly get that now. And, and I remember he and I having a very uh, very real conversation where he he came to me and he said, you know, John, it's really irritating. You know, you you follow my me and my friends around, and I remember breaking down and crying and saying to him, well, I don't I don't have my own friends. Hmm. And this was around the time, I think maybe he was in fifth or sixth grade and I was in second or third grade, maybe. Yeah. And and it, it really changed, I think, our relationship at that time, because I don't think he I don't think he realized that. And I don't think I had really verbalized it uh, at, up to, to anyone up at, to that point. And so he was a little more understanding of that. After a while, he still wanted his own, you know, time and his own independence yeah. with his friends, and, and and I tried to be more conscious of it uh, after that. But uh, but that conversation really, really, I think, changed our relationship at that time in a lot of ways for uh, for a lot of good reasons. And it's good you were able to tell him that and explain that to him. And I think you know, I'm a younger sibling. All my sisters are older. I have three older mm-hmm. sisters. And I know, you know, I used to always want to be part of my sisters. I think part of that is when you're a younger sibling, you want to be part of the group. You want to be part of what the older kids are doing. Um, But Mm -hmm. I can certainly see in your case where that would have been super challenging. And I even go back to the story about you wanting to play cars. How hard would it have been for somebody just to make a big sandbox table? They have them in all the schools here now. I mean, I know, mm-hmm. you know, my grandchildren go to a daycare. They have the great big table and there's the sand on top and everybody can be around there. And I think, well, why couldn't they have just made a sand table and had a big sand table that you could wheel right up to and everybody could play cars at it without you having to go through that? It would have been pretty simple to me <laughs> build you a table. Yeah, I think I stuff. think. I think I was viewed in at least in that particular school as as more of a problem to do. Well, mm-hmm. I think I was dealt with as a problem or a challenge to begin with. So let's just start there. And then I think yeah. it, rather than being addressed or, or approached or dealt with as a person, 
I think that was issue number one. Then I then I think issue number two is when you see a problem or a challenge, you can do two things. You can look at it as a problem or a challenge that you have to try to solve and address in a positive yeah. way or just deal with. And I think their preference was just, we're just going to deal with it hmm. rather than rather than entering into any meaningful dialogue with him or even his family uh, to to create solutions that will make his life easier oh, to deal with while he's here. For sure. So now mm. with your parents, so was it their decision to get you out of the school at that point and move you to a new school? Or was it because you were at a different age now you would not automatically move on or what happened there? No, I think it was, it was, it was the physical limitations in large part of that school. Yeah. Uh, and the fact that, and the fact that, cause that school went all the way up through eighth grade. So I could have, I, uh, from a school standpoint, I could have stayed an age standpoint, yeah. but there was a school uh, also a little closer to, to my house, uh, quite literally down the street, uh, that uh, that I could transfer to that had an elevator. Wow! And we th- and we thought now is the time to do that. He's uh, he's I'm getting around in a wheelchair. I'm 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 a little bit more independent. Let's get him over into that school and uh, and that school went till went through sixth grade. And then I went to another school for seventh and eighth grade that uh, that had it was more like a like a a maintenance elevator than a real elevator. But oh they boy! Had one. At, at but least they had one. Had one, and you could get up and down there. Now you had a wheelchair at this point, right? At that this point, could, yep. So you were able to do everything. You were able to wheel yourself around. Did it yep. make a difference for you socializing out on? The, like, were you able to get outside at breaks, lunch breaks, that sort of thing? Oh, yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And I was doing it and I was doing it without having to depend on someone else to do it for yeah, me. For sure. Uh, and, e- and even the elevator at that first school, I was able to operate myself. Perfect. Uh, they didn't, you know, it wasn't something that they had to have a key for, you know, that kind of a thing. It was, it was, it was a public elevator, if you will, for the school. Um, but the playground was very, uh, was very accessible and uh, I was a lot more active or attempted to be a lot more active uh, with, with, with my classmates at that point. Um, I did have one teacher there that, that didn't know how to, still didn't know how to deal with me in the, in the wheelchair and, uh, and was, was very condescending in a lot of ways. Oh no. Um, and, and, and my parents saw that too with, with, with her, uh, in particular, uh, and that was the first, that was fifth grade. And then sixth grade was a little bit different. I had, I had a team of teachers, um, two or three different teachers and, and it was very different. Uh, and I also had a wonderful gym teacher at that school who was very inclusive, always wanted to figure out ways to, to say, all right, well, how can we adapt this activity for John? She was, she was fantastic. And, and this is, you know, you're, this is late eighties, I want to say. Yeah, that I was going there, and so as far as inclusion, way ahead of her time, uh, way ahead of society yeah. in terms of her in terms of her thinking and her uh, her approach to me. She was she was wonderful, and, and really the first teacher to sort of teach me teach me uh, the art of the possible, if you will. Mm. Like, well, yeah, there's. Let's not look at what we can't do with with him. Let's look at what we can do. Wow. And she was, she was phenomenal. 
That's amazing. And it, it's so incredible when you get the right person as an educator in your life as part of your team when you're growing mm-hmm. up. It can make such a difference in your world. And you think about it. I mean, if you had stayed in a situation where you had people that weren't recognizing what you needed to be able to uh, move forward and develop yourself to the fullest, you would have been held back. And instead, it sounds like you had some good people who came along, saw the light, so to speak, and they got right. it. They understood it. And and it blows me away because I know we talk so much about accessibility and making sure that, you know, um, everybody has an opportunity to participate. And to me, it should just be a given. I can't even believe that people have had to advocate this far. But the reality is, is you are one of those people who has been advocating all along to try to make things smoother, not just for yourself, but for others as well. Thank you for saying that. Uh, and, and I, you know, it's all of those experience, experiences shaped, you know, shaped what yeah. I now do as an adult. But by the time I got to, uh, by the time I got to high school, I was, I was, uh, I was an athlete. I was playing baseball. I was playing uh, I was playing tennis and then uh, the, the high school that I went, the first high school I went to, I transferred after my sophomore year. Uh, I wanted to try out for the, the high school tennis team. Cool. And yeah. it just so, it just so happened mm-hmm. that uh, it was the best high school team in the state. So <laughs> right not, on. A, not, a, not an easy, not an easy <laughs> task, but I no. went to the, I, I went to the, uh, I went to the coach and I said, listen, I want to try out. And he said, okay. And I said, you know, wheelchair tennis is its own sport. Uh, but the only difference between wheelchair tennis and, and able-bodied tennis is one rule, and that is that wheelchair tennis players get two bounces. Every other rule is exactly the wow. same. And he said, okay. So he went to um, he went to the, uh, I'm not going to get the acronym right, but the state athletic uh, commission or committee that he had to go to. And he said, look, I've got a person in a wheelchair that wants to try out. Here's the deal. And I think, you know, he got the okay to let me try out or uh, may in fact even have made the decision himself. No, I'm going to let him try out. Let's, let's, let's see what happens. And uh, I played, I had three scrimmage matches. I lost all three of them. And, and he said, listen, um, I'm, I'm cutting you. Uh, but oh, he told me that that was the worst cut, the worst cut that he ever made, had to make uh, in terms of personal experience. But he said, look, I want you to be around. You're, you're an, you can be an inspiration to these kids. So he, he kept me on and, uh, and I was a, a scorekeeper uh, that year. And the next year he made the very conscious decision. He said, you know what? That's the last cut I'm ever going to make. I'm not, I'm not going to do this anymore. And he instituted a no cut policy uh, as a result of that created a junior varsity team, which I then made my sophomore year. And I was a co-captain of, and, uh, and I'm still in touch with that coach to this day. Uh, I speak annually at their at our uh, at our high school match with our, our crosstown rivals, if you will. Uh, they invite me to come out and, and share some inspiring words, and uh, and he's just a wonderful man and and uh, an inspiration to me to this day. Uh, and I'm thankful to have him in my life. Uh, and I and I it's not a it's not a cliche for me to say I think about him every day. Just a wonderful, wow. wonderful man. That is really neat. And that just that warms my heart to hear that. And uh, just the fact that you've kept a relationship after all these years, too. And obviously, um, not only did he uh, have a really good impact on you, it sounds like you obviously meant something to him, too. 
in order for you to have that two-way relationship still going. You probably taught him a lot along the way, too. And you certainly don't realize or respect that when you're a kid and you're going through it. But yeah, uh, but yeah. but he is he's a very humble guy. And he but he reminds me whenever we're together uh, what I what I meant to him and the impact that I had. And um, and 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 to hear that and to be to be able to try to give that back to, to his kids. Uh, mm. You know, when I when I go and, and speak every year is is. Uh, so incredibly touching because there isn't enough that I could do to to pay back what what he uh, what he did for me and the impact he had on my life. He's wow. you know he's 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 in the uh, you know he's in the upper <laughs> the Hall of Fame humanitarian <laughs> humanitarian Hall of Fame for people in my life. He's in John's Hall of Fame. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly yeah. it. Oh, that is that is really neat. So now you went on after high school and you went on to post-secondary. Do you want to tell mm-hmm. us a little bit more about what you did with your education and where it led you to this day? So I, yeah, I mean, it's circuitous route to where where I am today. I, I growing up, I was a huge fan of sports and, and broadcasting. And, and I always said, you know, uh, or got to a point that I said, oh, I, I want to be on ESPN. I want to be an anchor on sports center. I want to be one of those guys. And so I, I pursued a degree in communications uh, and I came out and that was one of those businesses where you have to know people who know people who know people who know people. Mm-hmm. It's a very, uh, very network business, very difficult business to break into. And I did several interviews with, tele- with various television stations and um, really only got one job offer that, that, didn't make sense for me at the time to, to get in the business. Uh, and then after a while, I, I spent 10 years, truthfully, I, I worked in call centers and just oh. kind of floundering and, and not doing not doing anything that I wanted to. Um, and I was in sales. I was working for a, for a cruise line in sales, living in Florida, uh, married. And um, my wife is from New York, and, and uh, she never loved Florida. I quasi-liked Florida. Uh, the weather was warmer at least and it is in Connecticut for a chunk of the year, but after a while, the novelty of that wears off. And so my brother uh, was back up here in Connecticut and my parents had moved back and because they were living in Florida. That was the reason, the main reason I'd gone down there in the first place. And so the long, the short story is I was working for a cruise line and our office was destroyed by a tropical storm. Oh no. And they gave, they gave a bunch of us the opportunity to work from home and I made somehow made that cut. Uh, I'm not sure how, even to this day, I was not really blowing up the sales world at that time, but uh, I got the opportunity to work from home. And so my brother said, great. Uh, when are you moving back to Connecticut? Like without missing a beat, he said that. And I said, wow. Okay. And a year later, uh, the timing was right. And he made an offer. He was like, look, come, come move up here. Uh, I'll, I'll, we'll help you out, you know, and, and, uh, it was an offer you couldn't say no to. And so moved back up to Connecticut. My brother was, uh, at the time he was the mayor of our town here in, here in West Hartford. Okay. And so I got involved, um, through him, I got involved, met a lot of people in politics and so forth, and just reached a point that I said, you know, I want to do something meaningful that's bigger than myself. I don't want to do I don't want to do this call center sales phone stuff anymore. And, and, and so one of our, our 
dear friends in politics uh, took this concept of dis disability advocacy and uh, and ran with it and approached at the time approached our governor and they were looking for somebody to uh, to do that kind of work within his administration. Uh, and then the next thing I know, I'm I'm being interviewed by the chief of staff of the state of Connecticut to wow. essentially create this position. They were going to create this position and look for somebody to 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 fill it. And uh, and and they chose me. So I served in our previous governor's administration for uh, for about five years. And now I work for uh, a state agency here uh, on uh, uh, aging and disability services. Uh, on behalf of, of both of those populations, I work directly for the commissioner, and uh, it's been a, it's been a really solid fit for me. And uh, to to keep doing the kind of advocacy that uh, um, that I've wanted to do for a while. Uh, yeah. and there's plenty. There's plenty from from students with disabilities to to families with kids with disabilities to um, to companies that want to hire people with disabilities. Yeah. It's all all of those things are. Uh, they're critical, and there's there's so much so much that needs to be uh, spoken to and spoken about, and and given my lived experience, I feel I can speak to a lot of it. And I um, think it's important because education and awareness is a huge thing. Like if you look is. back to say when you were growing up, I bet you you were dealing with some people who probably were really good-hearted people who had not had the education and awareness. I know I'm, I can't judge because I wasn't there, and maybe mm -hmm. you had some people that just no matter what wouldn't have got it. Um, but I go, you know, there's probably some people that, you know, back in the day, people just didn't, I don't know how, how's the right way to say this. People just weren't thinking that way. Whereas nowadays, um, being inclusive to everybody is so important. It's so, so important. And I, I have a hard time because I'm, yeah, I'm in my going on to my late fifties and I've seen it, you know, from one side going to the other. But to me, uh, being inclusive to everybody and making it comfortable is something that I was taught from a very young age. Um, and I always go back to my mom. I have a mom that raised four of us by herself. And she was so huge on that. No matter what, let's make everybody feel comfortable. And I mm -hmm. think if you're taught that at home, you're taught to think outside the box. I think, you know, it's so important. I I remember back when I was younger taking tourism training courses. When I was back in the Yukon, there was a program, I can't remember, I think it was called Welcome Yukon. And it was about hospitality and recognizing that, you know, um, sometimes people came to you and there'd been something going on in their day that you didn't know about and, you know, having empathy, being able to work with people. But something we did not have in training back then was um, being aware of when people have different physical needs or emotional needs. And I think there's so much more awareness now, but that only happens when there are people like yourself who are willing to get out there and share experiences and talk to people and help to educate people. That is so and, huge. And I think on the other side of that, Lindy, you know, yeah. the, the, and I've talked about this with a lot of people, so many of the issues that the disability community face are attempted to be addressed in silos and echo chambers that don't include the disability community. Hmm. And so when you talk about inclusion, yeah. you have yeah. to include people from the disability community in the conversation. They can Absolutely. tell you how to be helpful. Absolutely. They can tell you how to solve the problems, or they yeah. should, because they they want to help you solve the yeah. problem so that they don't continue to be an issue. Oh, and 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 also, you know, every every disability experience is 
individual and nuanced. So how one person needs to have their needs met is different from the next. Yeah. And so you can't pretend that you're going to be able to solve the problems of the disability community unless you talk to them. Yeah. So if you're trying to create an inclusive environment, but the conversations around inclusion don't include them, then you're not doing that mission justice. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. You've, you've totally said it like it is. And that's so important. And do you find that, have you had to push a lot to be included over the years so that you can have your voice heard? Or are you finding more and more people now are reaching out? Uh, I find because I took on the job in part because I took on the job in the governor's office and got a lot more exposure. Um, I, I, I've had a lot more people reach out up through that point. I would say every company that I worked for, I was the only person in a wheelchair. I think there was one company I worked for that there was maybe one other person that I knew of, not to say that there weren't other disabilities present there very well may have been, but in terms of, of visible physical disabilities, the vast majority of the companies that I worked for uh, were, I was the only person in a wheelchair. And so I did have to speak up a lot if there were, if there were certain issues. Um, one of the companies I worked for, um, I even went to them and said, look, you know, and I'm trying not to, not to describe it to get them in any trouble, but I I basically told them, I said, you know, you might run into some accessibility issues down the road because you're an international company and you might want to consider that in terms of how you approach the disability community. And because I was not a higher up within the company and not really well known and not really, I was a number to them. Mm. Um, I wasn't, I wasn't, they didn't really pay any attention to me. And then years later, uh, there were lawsuits filed against this company for just that reason. Wow. That there were accessibility issues that they were not addressing. And, um, Hmm. you know, I'm not, I'm not saying that to be, because I'm proud of it. Um, I'm saying that because if you have people in the disability community that are using their voices to tell you something, please pay attention. And the reason I say that, Lindy, is because in the United States, the disability community is now the single largest minority in the country. We are 50 plus million Americans at a minimum because there are so many that are either not reporting or maybe they don't know they have a disability. So it's 50 million that we know, 50 plus million that we know about, which means it's even higher. That's big. And there's so many different ways um, of addressing it. There really is. And I think about things that, and again, because I I haven't been in your situation, so I see it from a whole different side. But I think what happens when you want to travel? If you want to go on a bus, if you want to go on a plane, how is that dealt with for you? Um, is that a challenge still? Or do you find that there are resources in place now? It certainly is a challenge. Um, you know, I think my wife and I have gotten to the point that if we anymore that if we can drive somewhere, we would prefer to. Yeah. You know, we have our, we've got our own cars. One of them certainly is, is uh, equipped for me to drive and, and it's, it's a minivan. So, you know, unless it's a car is packed to the gill, we have a four-year-old. So unless our car is packed to the gills with luggage and toys and things, we don't even have to fold the, the, my wheelchair up if, if, 
if we don't have to. So um, we prefer not to fly if we have to, because there's so many challenges with flying and, uh, you know, even coming out of uh, post 9-11, if you will, the, the challenges, got, I think, got a little bit greater. So if we can drive somewhere we, we, we prefer to anymore, uh, we, we tend not to even look <laughs> look to, to leave, uh, sadly, leave, leave the country much if, if, uh, if we don't need to. But, um, but yeah, travel is certainly a challenge. Transportation is a challenge. Uh, even in Connecticut, you know, transportation is within my agency is something that we, we deal with on a regular basis because we have, mm. we have rural, rural pockets that, that public transportation is an issue in. And, um, and we have, uh, um, you know, we have, we have more, uh, you know, cities that it maybe not so much, uh, but, but it's, it's, um, as the disability population grows, I think not only in Connecticut, but also in this country, uh, we're constantly playing catch up with, with meeting the needs of that community. Yeah. And also, you know, and also as we get older, we, as you age, you, you are more prone to getting a disability. And so that, that has to be considered as well. Uh, and that's, that's across the country, not just, not just really all over the world, yeah. Yeah. Um, not just here not just here. Yeah, for sure. So when you talk about some of the challenges that you would face with travel, would it just be that there's not seats on an airplane that are designated for wheelchairs? I I don't know how that works. Or is it the actual involvement of packing the chair, getting it through security, all that stuff? Is that? It's well, it's, yeah, I mean, planes in and of themselves are not handicap accessible. If you're, if you're, unless you're sitting in the front few rows, you have to be taken down this in this very narrow aisle chair because mm. it's the only thing that'll get down the the aisle. Um, I've had, it, it was some time ago, but I had an experience where um, I had a wheelchair that was significantly damaged on a flight. Oh no. And the airline, I went, I went through a whole process with the airline and, and essentially uh, they viewed they were, they were not in the wrong. And oh, so no. I, I didn't, I didn't get any, any sort of, real compensation for mm. it uh which which was a pain and it was and it was a it was a it was a sports wheelchair a tennis wheelchair that i was using to go play in a tennis tournament and i ended up having to use my my everyday chair for the tournament because of the damage that was done uh so it was it, it's stuff like that you know yeah. wheelchairs i think are, are are treated as luggage on planes and 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 so yeah. they're not they're not treated as delicately as they should be yeah. You know, w- well, that's big. Cause I think about, I mean, you hear about all the time with people having issues with stuff that happens, but like you say, it's not like you can just go down to the store down the street and go pick up another one for nine ninety nine. That doesn't work that way. And they're expensive. And especially if it's customized, there's probably a lot of expense that goes into buying that. And, no, and they're all, and they're all, I mean, if you get a prescription, they're all, they're all customized because they're, yeah. they're meant, they're meant for your body. And so they're meant sure. to, not just for comfort, but to make sure that that it fits you physically from a um, from a clinical standpoint. So oh, for you sure. know to avoid to avoid things like pressure sores and yeah, uh, you know any any discomfort or or harm or physical harm or injury to your body. They 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 are largely customized. So right. you know, I think about that, and you're depending on that to get around. That would be really hard to have something like that happen to it. 
Um, now with restaurants and things, and here's an interesting one. I, I used to work in advertising years ago, and I remember working for a publication one year, and they had me going around, and with all the restaurants that were advertising in the publication, and, and this is going back to the 1990s, so we mm -hmm. were still not quite in the 90s. We weren't quite where we are today. And I was going around to all these restaurants and marking off, do you have this? Do you have that? You know, do you have a bathroom that's wheelchair accessible? Do you have ramps or things that make it possible for everybody to be able to come in? And I remember getting a restaurant one time saying, yes, yes, mark me off on all of them. And I'm going, there's stairs here. <laughs> so I'm sorry. I'm not marking off that you're accessible because you're not. And right. I don't I don't think I sold a very big ad that day. <laughs> I didn't care. <laughs> I, 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 I took a stand that day and the, and the guy saying to me, well, yeah, it is accessible. All they got to do is come around back and tap on the window and then we can bring them up the back way. And I, I stood firm that day. I said, no, I will not mark off that you are accessible because if somebody has to go around back and tap on the window, that is not accessible. And I, I I remember that to this day because I took a stand on it. I and the guy was mad at me because I wouldn't mark it off that he was, but I couldn't. It wasn't right. No, I I completely agree. And the thing about it is, you know, it, it's not just ac access; it's equal access that people yeah. don't consider. So yeah. you might have a you might have a ramp or a back door or some other way for someone in a wheelchair to get in, but if they if the, if doing that involves knocking on a door or ringing a doorbell or involving someone else to open the door for us, that is not equal access. Yeah, and that's tough because I know some of the older buildings, it's a little bit harder, right? Like I know where I came from, a lot of the buildings were built in like the 50s and the 60s, and maybe they were close to the sidewalk. And in fairness, some of the owners, there's nothing they could do. The physical ability to move the cement building from the cement sidewalk <laughs> like it was just built that way back in the day, but anything that's newer, I think there's guidelines. I don't know about where you live. Uh, no, there there are there are guidelines that have to be followed yeah. here. We it's a it's a colonial state, so a lot of our buildings are are oh, hundred can be hundreds of years, a couple hundred years old, uh, or certainly a hundred years old. And again, the challenge to make those accessible is 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 daunting. I think one of my one of my sticking points with the Americans with Disabilities Act is it's a largely unfunded mandate. Hmm. So a law was created to say, yeah, make your buildings and make your make make everything accessible, but really not putting any money in it to to help people do that. And uh, you know, for every bad actor out there, there's plenty of them that say, we'd love to make our our buildings more accessible. We don't have the money to do it. And that makes and, sense, right? Yeah. And they yeah, you know, yeah. they've got to pursue grants or they've got to, you know, they've got to fundraise to do that kind of stuff. And it becomes very, very difficult. And and yeah. um, and I'm 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 conscious of that. And and, uh, you know, you do what you do the best that you can to be helpful to those to those people. But um, accessibility is we also have to think about accessibility, not just in physical structures, but we live in a digital world, too, where yeah. we've got to make yeah. things accessible and in, 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 on the internet and, uh, and, and, you know, there's companies that need to make their websites more accessible and, and, uh, and, and job applications accessible. We have to make communications more accessible to, um, to communities. I, I think of the deaf and hard of hearing community in that sense. I think yeah. of, uh, of, of the, the blind and low vision communities in that sense. There's, um, there's so many th other things to think about uh, with accessibility other than physical structures. And you're right. And I mean, I can bring up, I'm sure he'll be fine that I mention it, but I, I live with somebody who's colorblind 
And Mm -hmm. I never understood the depth of what it was like to be colorblind uh, until I saw things through his eyes. And I mean, even it was just probably about two weeks ago, he was online with somebody and they were trying to give him technical assistance. And they're saying, you got to click on the green button. He can't see green. Mm. And so, you know, or he couldn't see that shade of green. And if you have somebody putting all these colors on there and you talk about the website thing, um, yeah, when you're being asked to pick by a color, that can be really challenging. So how about the big round button (laughs) that's on the side? Something that identifies it other than color. And I think even, you know, I was at our local hospital yesterday and you go in and you pull a yellow tag to go to this thing. You pull a green tag to go to this one. Mm-hmm. Um, but I noticed at our hospital on the box where where you pull the green tag, if you're going for an x-ray, there's a sign right on top that says, these are the green tags. On the yellow box, it says, these are yellow tags. So if you can read, but you aren't able to decipher the color, at least you're able to see it that way. Because I, right. I never thought about that before. All these things done by color. Get the green form, get the yellow form, get this form, get that form. Um, Yeah, there's a lot of things. And even desks, I think about desks. I mean, it's such a small thing. But, um, you know, having worked in offices for many, many, many years, and I know many women in my age group, and I shouldn't just say women, many people in my age group who've been on keyboards, whether back in our day, we started on typewriters, typewriters to computers, but there's lots of people who have 30 years under their belts working in an office, and now they've got carpal tunnel, and now they're having issues. And I can even remember working for somebody once, I'm probably being a little bold here and saying, I need to get one of those under desk things that clips on so my keyboard comes down because my wrists are killing me. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to be able to keep working anymore if I don't do something about it because you can't work with your wrists like this typing. You can't can't do that. You wreck your wrists. And I remember my employer at the time kind of scoffing at me and laughing and going, ah, you're getting old and just walked away. But there was no offer of assistance whatsoever. And I kind of, I kind of suggested that maybe we could do that with the office supplies. And I felt kind of a little that day when that happened. So I went out with my own money and I bought the keyboard tray that hooks on underneath the desk. And, and my boss came back in a while later and I'm underneath the desk on the floor with a screwdriver. (laughs) I'm trying to get this thing under my desk. And I think he actually, the it, it actually hit him when he came in the room and he saw me laying on the floor under the desk trying to mount this thing on with a screwdriver. And he came along mm-hmm. and said, let me give you a hand. <laughs> I'll put that thing on for you. And then he kind of looked at me and said, you really need this thing? I'm like, yes, I really need this thing. I can't type without it because it's killing my wrists and I want to keep right. working. And they're small things, right? That was just such a small thing. But You know, you talk about all the different things. And I mean, that's a small scale for me, right? Having a little carpal tunnel, that's small. But it it is the difference in being able to keep working or not. Just one simple little modification. But it speaks to the communication piece, right? It's it's about including people that have their experiencing issues as part of the conversation. Yeah. You know, I, I don't, I wouldn't expect a group of people to, you know, as you pointed out about, about the colorblind aspect of things if you're not if you're not experiencing that or or you have people in your life that can share a lived experience of that you might not consider that and in some ways it's you know it's that's not your fault but as you include more people in the conversation about how to address these issues you become more conscious of it it becomes it becomes embedded in you and it becomes 
part of your part of your DNA and how you act and part of yeah. part of your your you know if you're working in a company it can become part of your culture. How do we how do we do this? Well, we have people in our office that have disabilities. Let's let's ask them. They're the experts. We're yeah, not. That's true. And we're not going to yeah. and and we can ask them in a way that it's not it's not putting it out to everybody. We're trying to educate ourselves. We're trying to improve our um, our inclusion, our accessibility, what it, what you know, whatever terminology you want to use. But it starts by it starts by listening to those folks. Yeah, I agree, and I think that's a huge message to take out of this podcast today. Is that instead of sitting down and writing the book on what is needed before you do that, talk to the people that actually really experience it and know mm-hmm. what is needed. They know firsthand and can offer that kind of input. It's such a valuable piece of information. And I think, yeah, when we talk about inclusion, it's inclusion in the discussion. (laughs) Yeah, if it doesn't start there, you're already going down the wrong, you're already going down the wrong track. Absolutely. So now what kinds of things are you doing these days? What fills your days most of the time? Oh, geez. Um, Wow. Uh, Personally or professionally, I guess. Yeah, (laughs) I I guess both. Um, well, I mean, professionally, as I said, you know, I, I do, I do work for the state. I, I, I serve on a, 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 I serve on a host of boards and commissions on behalf of uh, the commissioner and, and the agency for things like transportation. And uh, I was recently on a, a police accountability, transparency and accountability task force. Uh, and I, I uh, co-chaired a, a um, or I chaired a, a subcommittee on, on, their interactions with the disability community. And that was very, very educational. Um, the agency that I work for focuses on employment for persons with disabilities, which is okay. uh, a huge uh, passion of mine. Uh, and, and, and um, you know, there's so many things to consider uh, when it comes to employing persons with disabilities. And it, and it doesn't start, for me, it doesn't just start at the employment. It starts at the beginning. It yeah. starts with education. It starts yeah. with... Um, it starts with transportation. It starts with housing. You know, yeah. all of those other yeah. other things that you need to consider when it comes to employment. Uh, it's it, it's it's really a, a you know a, a puzzle that you that you yeah. have to uh, uh, various pieces that you have to consider. And um, so, employment for persons with disabilities is, is again, it's a huge uh, a huge passion of mine because it, here in 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 this country, we, as I, as I mentioned, we have 50 plus million Americans that are are considered disabled, and I believe at last when I last looked, two thirds of them or more were were not employed. Oh, that's tough. And yeah. and and a lot of that boils down to again not having the right conversations, and not and which leads to not properly educating yourself. I think there's a lot of companies when we talk about things like reasonable. You've heard the term reasonable accommodations. A lot of companies, I think, look at that and they say, wow, that's going to be a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And so many reasonable accommodations, I forget the, the actual percentage, but they cost either zero or no more than $500. And that's it for that individual. We've, there's, there's statistical evidence uh, or data that proves that Persons with disabilities are not a liability on your insurance. Their um, their retention rate is higher. 
So there's a lot of benefits to employing persons with disabilities, uh, not just from a goodwill standpoint. And goodwill is is it is great. Oh, we want to do a good thing. We'll, well, we'll hire persons with disabilities. But it also makes tremendous business sense. And that kind of information needs to get out there more. And there's organizations that do that. Our state agency, that my state agency does it. Uh, and, and um, you know, it's, as I said, it's something that I'm passionate about. Personally, I have a four-year-old daughter uh, you know, and a wife. So we, uh, we spend as much time doing things for her. She's... Um, she does the gymnastics every week. We, oh, wow. my parents, <laughs> yeah. So we're 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 having fun with that. Um, my my uh, my older brother and my and my sister in law. We they have a, a niece that is uh, ten years older than than uh, than our daughter. So we try to get them together as often as possible. They they adore each other. Uh, and my parents don't live. Uh, we all live in the same town. And so oh, we, lovely. We try to get together as often as possible. I see nice. my parents at least once a week for dinner. So, uh, yeah, my, my life is uh, life's not boring. That's for sure. <laughs> That's good. That is so good. And I, I love the message that you shared today. And I think, you know, something that I think about is that if uh, somebody doesn't make accommodations or they're not able to or whatever happens, they could really be missing out on a really good personal relationship with somebody mm -hmm. that might be coming through that door. And it's like by, you know, just expanding the horizon a little bit and making life easier for all of us around us, we're all going to benefit from it because, I mean, look at what a wonderful person you are. So <laughs> I think, Thank you know, you. no, that's true because you're, you're so easy to talk to. As soon as we got on Zoom this morning, I'm like, oh, this guy's just so easy to talk to, you know, like it's just super <laughs> comfortable for me. And I think, well, just imagine all the lives that you've touched around you because you're easy to talk to. And if somebody hadn't opened that door to you, they're the ones that are going to be missing out because it sounds like you're bringing a lot, you know, to the world around you. And and people need to look at it that way, that it's just a matter of sometimes, yeah, it's not just we're doing this because we're trying to be kind, but guess what? We're all going to benefit from this. Us too, we're going to benefit from having that relationship with that person because after all, we're all people. Right. <laughs> That's what it is. It's right. And, and don't be afraid to talk to somebody and, and ask them what they need. Yeah, I like that. That's very, very, very good advice. Um, well, I can't thank you enough for coming on today and sharing your story. And, oh, thank uh, you, Wendy. I appreciate it. Oh, you bet. And I'm glad to hear you're still out there. And maybe we'll touch base in a few months, see how things are going and see if there's anything new that's happening on the horizon. And it's always good to stay in touch. I'd be happy to do that. Thank you so much, Wendy. Sounds great. Thanks so much again. I really appreciate it. And I hope you have My a great pleasure. day. All right. You too. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please click like, share on your social media, and hit that subscribe button for future updates. Don't forget to join the Lindy's Audio Cafe podcast group on Facebook or visit www.lindysaudiocafe.com. Have a great week, everyone. And remember when you head out that smiles come in all languages and in all colors.